Hello, and welcome to Conversation with the Experts. This series is focused on quality matters. It will cover a range of topics, all centred around how we improve the quality and safety of care for our patients. The Royal Children's Hospital has made a clear commitment to understanding why and how things go wrong. We all know that staff are well-educated, well-trained and well-intentioned. So the aim is to discover what system issues have led to adverse events or clinical incidents and identifying what changes need to be implemented so that the same problem does not keep recurring. We all know that quality does matter and our episodes will explore the ways in which we can continually improve and protect our patients, their families and our staff from harm. Hi, I'm Dr Annie Molden. And I'm Dr Romy Rema. We're paediatricians and co-medical leads of quality and safety at the Royal Children's Hospital. Sometimes, despite the best of intentions, things go wrong in the delivery of healthcare. Might be a medication error, delay in diagnosis or treatment, or a communication failure. This is the first episode of a two-part series where we will explore what should happen after a clinical incident or an adverse event occurs and why it is so important to learn from them. Today we're talking with Di Tucker, the Director of Quality and Improvement at the Royal Children's Hospital. Di is a laboratory scientist by background who has worked in quality improvement at RCH for the last 12 years and has a passion for exploring ways in which systems can improve patient outcomes. Welcome to the show, Di. Thanks, Romy. So, Di, our fight or flight mode can sometimes overshadow our best practice responses to a critical incident. When unintended harm does happen to a patient, what should staff do? I think the first thing we need to ensure that staff understand is that we all know that people come to work every day to do their very best for every patient. And sometimes things do happen and it's out of our control. For me, the most important thing is we need to look after the, when something unintended does happen, we look after the patient, make sure the patient's okay. Um, and we ensure that there's no ongoing harm or that you know, the harm has been removed um, also caring for the parents and making sure that they're okay and that they're aware of what is going on. You know, we're all mothers ourselves. Imagine if it was your child. You just want to know what's going on and want people to be honest and open with you. The key thing we need to get across to all of our staff is about communication. The more we can communicate and be honest and open and tell people what is going on, that sense tends to calm people down because you're not left not knowing what's happening or not leaving things up in the air. The other thing we need to do is make sure we support our clinical staff because, as we said, people don't intend to for an error to occur or for adverse events to happen. And it's critical we look after our, um, our own staff and our own teams and are being there for them. And, of course, the last thing that I just want to mention is to make sure we report it in VIMS or the Incident Management System. So once a report is submitted to VIMS... The incidents are risk rated based on the information that's written down. How are incidents classified and, and what then happens? So when someone puts an incident report in VIMS, there's a whole lot of questions that they have to answer. And one of the questions that's in there is about the level of harm. The VIMS will say, select from the drop-down menu what was the level of harm. Did it reach the patient? Was the patient affected? Did it not reach the patient? And then the next question is, what was the level of care required? So, for example, as a result of the incident, did the patient require ICU care or did they require transfer to another department? So built into VIMS is an algorithm. So when you answer those two questions, it comes up with an incident severity rating or ISR. 
So an ISR1 is a very high level of harm um, and we sometimes refer to them as catastrophic or severe incidents and that's where something very untoward has happened and we need to follow them very carefully. The next level down is what we call a severe incident and then they get rated as a moderate and then a near miss and ISR4 is a near miss incident. So you've been looking at BIMS for a very long time now. I have indeed. Are the themes similar all the time? Do you have more common themes that occur? Good question, Romy. We get lots of variety of things that we see, but I think if you were to ask me what is the single most common theme that we see in incidents, I would say that communication is the most common thing that is identified as the cause of an incident. I remember the previous CEO asked me the question, Di, if there was one thing that we could do to improve patient safety in this hospital, what would it be? And I said, communicate better. Communicate between our teams, communicate with our patients and families and communicate with people outside of our teams. Absolutely. One of the things that you talked about before was the ISR rating. So what happens if the, depending on the rating, what is the... um, process that's followed after that. So if it's an ISR 1, for example, uh, what happens? And if it's an ISR 3 or 4, what happens? So the ISR 1 and 2 incidents are auto-triggered. So there's an alert sent to the quality team and also to the department managers and the executive team. Now, when the ISR 1s and 2s come in, the quality team do a weekly meeting on a Thursday and we look at all the incidents that have come in for that week and we assess them with information that we have gathered from the clinical teams um, to just to go through what happened. And then sometimes we may adjust the severity rating based on the information that we've obtained. And it's not because someone has put in a wrong rating. It's just that we're used to looking at those all the time. And so we just kind of come up with a consistent risk-based approach across the organisation. So for example, something may seem you know, very severe to a a local department. But in the whole context of the whole organisation or the the whole, you know, service, we may um, make a consideration that perhaps that's not as severe as someone initially thought it was. So it's really about that levelling and making sure that when we are reporting incidents, we're not over-reporting severity. If there's an ISR1 incident we need to have a look at those and see if any of them meet the definition of what we call a sentinel event. So a sentinel event is a it's a series of incidents that have been defined by the Department of Health as being what they what they term never events. There's um, a set of 10 of those. For example, an incorrect ABO blood transfusion is one. Baby discharge to a wrong family is another example of one. So they're not all applicable to us. In Victoria, um, our Safer Care Victoria have decided we need an additional category. So Victoria's got category 11, which is any other catastrophic event. But most of the sentinel events that we report here at the RCH tend to fall into that category 11. Uh, we have very few of the other categories. I think um, over the last couple of years, we may have had one or two medication incidents that have been regarded as sentinel events. The fact that something is regarded as a sentinel event doesn't mean to say that it's more severe than anything else. 
It's just they are the events that the Department of Health want us to report and report in a particular way. And the purpose of it is for information sharing across multiple health services. We do our incident reports, we take them to patient safety, but they're never seen outside of our organisation. So that's where Safer Care have come in and said, right, if you've got this category, can you please report them? And then they publish them in a public report. The focus for all of them, really, regardless of the level of severity, is really around understanding what happened and what then needs to happen in order to reduce the chance of that happening again. Given that really we want to focus on constantly improving, constantly reducing risk, can you give us some examples that that you think have really significantly reduced uh, the risk of harm to patients? There's so many of the many. It's really hard to pull out the ones that um, you know, a key, but you're absolutely right. The whole purpose of doing incident review is to make sure that we come up with systems improvements to try and stop that incident from ever happening again. So we did an incident review a number of years ago. There was a um, rather tragic event happened uh, where a VAD patient tubing uh, kinked and there was, the patient had a massive bleed. And one of the simple, you know, fixes that we could do in that particular instance that we implemented was every VAT machine has a clamp now attached to it. So if that was to happen again, it's, you know, it's a rare, really a rare event that by having that clamp available in real time, we could have just clamped that tubing. So that was very, very simple, but that was one that we did. Another one is we had a, we did an incident review a number of years ago on a uh, a child who had a late diagnosis of um, SKIDS, so severe combined immunodeficiency syndrome, and that was another tragic event. But one of the things that we learned from that and we've put into place is that when patients have a low white cell count, there is an automatic trigger for the laboratory to then go on and do automatic testing for lymphocyte subsets so that they can get that um, you know lymphocyte uh, subset information to the clinicians without it going backwards and forwards. And then that provides more information and that would pick up an earlier diagnosis of SKIDS. That's now going to be included on the newborn screening program uh, moving forward into the future. So, so so many conditions at the moment are checked in the neonatal period with the, with the Guthrie test. Yeah. In, and that will be a complete game changer. Absolutely a game changer. You know, in the, in the US, um, newborn screening does include uh, screening for SKIDS. It was announced last week by the Safer Care Victoria, that that will be funded and will be included in the newborn screening. I was talking to my lab mates um, last week and they said that we bring it in probably in July next year. Fantastic outcome, isn't it? It's a huge outcome. And you're right, putting in a risk man or a VIMS or whatever incident management uh, you've got, the whole point of it is not to blame somebody, it's to try and find a, a system fix for a problem so that we can improve patient care moving forward. Absolutely, Romy. And, you know, one of the things that I always, when I'm out teaching about incident reporting is you may report an incident in your department and it's an isolated incident, but if other people put in incidents and we see a similar theme, then that's when we identify, that's the risk identification. That's where we know we've got a problem. But because people only see what's in their own sphere, they may not see the broader picture. So we really encourage people to put VIMS in, even, you know, if they are the misses, because it helps us to identify things before they become real issues or big things. 
And I know that people say putting a VIMS is onerous and I understand that and I get that. But at the end of the day, it's the way in which we can collate the information and use that information, that data to drive improvement. And that's what we're all about. So speaking of improvement, question that Annie and I get asked a lot are from people who are really interested in quality and improvement and don't know what to do or how to get more involved. What would your advice be to those people? If people are interested in quality and safety, I really encourage those people to put their hand up and be quality champions. And that looks different in, you know, different craft groups and it looks different in different departments. But we have the Quality Matters Forum, which is run by you lovely people yourselves. Um, and that's becoming very popular and is really spreading the word about quality improvement, particularly amongst the medical team. I know on a lot of the wards and in the nursing area, um, people are putting their hands up to be quality champions on their wards. Where we have got wards, where we have people identified as quality champions, we are really seeing um, quality improvement going in leaps and bounds because they're dedicated, they're owning their quality. I often talk about um, embracing quality as opposed to imposing quality. Where people see their own areas and they can identify their own quality improvement, that's where we see real change. You don't want the quality department coming over with our good old-fashioned clipboards and our sticks and saying this is what you should be doing. So many times I've, I've said to people, you identify a problem, you need to come to us with a solution. Correct. You don't want us to tell, tell you what needs to be done. Well, you we don't know, do we? Exactly. You because need to identify what can work. Exactly, because, you know, the people that are involved in the area, they're one of the best place to make those solutions. I see our job is identifying trends and picking up where there are risks and then working with the clinical teams. So back to Romy's question about what can people do, where there's incident reviews being undertaken and people are aware of those, particularly through their managers, putting their hand up to be on a review panel. We want people who are actually the people who are on the floor doing the work, they're the ones that are best placed to, you know, work out the best way to improve things. The other thing that they can do is join a committee. We've got lots of clinical governance committees. We're always looking for people with what I call lived experience being on those committees and anyone who wants to reach out to us at any time and come and have a chat. I see part of my role is, you know, having a chat with people. Always over a coffee is very good, I, I find. Um, and talking to them about if they're interested in quality, how they can get into that space. There's plenty of education and training out there we can guide people to. Put your foot in the water and just give it a shot. And it doesn't have to be a big project, does it? It can just be something little. Yeah, exactly, Romy. We talk about, you know, improvement projects. And I think what we should be using is the term improvement activity. Improvement might be we can't find thermometers on the ward. We, we don't have enough thermometers. When you have a look into it, the, the problem might be that the thermometers are not stored in a central spot, so we can't easily access them. Now, that's a huge improvement because it saves people time. It means that we've got timely access to be able to get those thermometers for the patients, but it's not a huge project. It's someone just doing some small improvement and making the life better for everyone. But then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got huge you know, organisational redesign projects um, and that's the sort of work that our team get involved in. Those people are trained in uh, quality improvement and redesign. There are so many areas where you can make small improvements that actually can have a really significant impact on the quality of patients' care. Absolutely. And, you know, I know in our own department, 
something as simple as, you know, an improvement activity was tidying up the files on our shared drive. It made an enormous difference because it means that, you know, we can now find the patient safety incidents very easily. So, yes, it doesn't have to be a huge and it doesn't have to be a project. So quality improvement activity is the term I like to use. Thank you, Di, for joining us today and for sharing so much of your expertise and experience. Um, Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We hope that this has really highlighted the importance of reflection and learning so that we can continually improve the quality and safety of care for our patients. In our next podcast, we're going to be interviewing Ruth Armstrong about the impact of clinical incidents on staff and on patients and their families. You've been listening to a Quality Matters podcast, part of the Conversation with the Experts series.